Welcome to your go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it? Gaming? Wait for it? Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you gotta do is wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Wait For It Podcast, and welcome to the latest edition of Filluminati. I am your co-host, Phil Smith, a.k.a. Phil the Filipino. Thank you all so much for joining me here today, and for any of you that are brand new to this series or the podcast in general, Filluminati is my special series in which I'll talk about various conspiracy theories. I've tackled more serious subjects in the past, such as the Titanic switch theory, doppelgangers, Dyatlov Pass, stuff like that. But as of late, I've kind of switched over to more entertainment-based conspiracies, and those are being received relatively well. So I figured, you know what, why not stick to that and go with a topic that all listeners of this podcast will be familiar with, and that is with the MCU. Also, doing some of those more serious topics takes a lot of research. And you know what? I've been really busy, so we're going to tackle an easy one here. That being said, if this goes well, I may revisit this topic with a guest in the future because I had a whole lot of fun looking through some of these theories, and I hope you guys will enjoy them. There are going to be full spoilers for the MCU, so I'll let you know what movie or franchise it involves, and you know you can choose whether or not you want to listen to it from there. For those brand new listeners, if you're not necessarily interested in hearing about any Marvel conspiracy theories, that's totally fine. Make sure to check out the rest of our library. I promise you there is something here for everybody, but I can also promise that you'll have a good time if you stick around no matter what. And for all of our returning listeners, welcome back. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And as always, we truly cannot do this without you. After this weekend, we will just be two weeks away from Bold Matt Surrey here in Jacksonville. Like, man, I cannot believe it's coming up so quickly. I cannot wait to see some of you guys there. But let's go ahead and jump into this here. I will put all of the links to these theories in the show notes. So if you want to read them for yourself, you certainly can. But let's start with one of my favorite new franchises within the MCU, and that's Shang-Chi. And this is actually a Shang-Chi and Eternals theory. Now, if you listen to Eric and I's review about the Eternals, you know we weren't necessarily like super high on it. To be honest with you, I consistently forget that the movie even exists outside of Kingo, who is played by Kamel Nanjiani, and he is just an absolute bright spot in that film that's kind of drab. But anyway, this theory by Reddit user CF Bethel states that the Eternals created the Ten Rings. In Eternals, it is revealed to Cersei that the Eternals are not the peacekeepers and protectors of Earth that they think they are, but are instead helping birth a celestial, which will result in the destruction of Earth and the death of all the humans. She also finds out that Earth is not the first planet they've helped destroy. They're significantly older than they thought they were, and there's other Eternals out in the universe, such as Eros and Pip the Troll. In an attempt to stop this, Fastos constructs ring devices for the Eternals so they can channel all their power into one of them. In Shang-Chi, Wenwu's discovery of the Ten Rings gives him incredible power and allows him to live for over a thousand years. Further examination by Wong, Bruce Banner, and Captain Marvel indicate the rings are significantly older than that and are cosmic in origin. I believe that the Ten Rings came from a failed rebellion attempt by the Eternals against the Celestials several millennia earlier. 
While not explicitly said, it is quite possible that Eternals had a similar moment of revelation of their true purpose and chose to fight against it. I believe that it was during this conflict that Fastos, or another engineering Eternal, actually made a set of 10 rings for the Eternals to fight back. However, they ultimately fail, the planet they are trying to protect is destroyed, their memories are wiped, and the rings are cast into deep space to drift for eternity. Except they didn't. They just so happened to land on a small backwater planet called Earth, where they were found by Wenwu, who was able to access the power and immortality of the Eternals. As for why Wenwu doesn't exhibit all 10 powers the Eternals do, despite his intelligence and skills, he is only human, as he's only scratched the surface of what the rings are capable of. It's also very likely that he found a set of moves and powers that gave him enough of an edge to create his empire, and while the comic origin of the rings could still be used in some way, the story of how Wenwu found the rings is vague enough that I think this origin makes more sense. I really like this one, and it also gives a little bit more purpose for the Eternals, in my opinion. And as the user states, you know, Wenwu is only human. He cannot access the full power of those rings, and thank goodness he can't. Just look at the destruction he caused with what he was able to access. But I really like this one. You know, we see Fastos and the Eternals create the Mind Hive or whatever it was called. Honestly, I don't remember a lot about that film. So it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility for Fastos in another life on another planet to do the exact same thing or again, another engineering Eternal. Let's move into the next one about WandaVision and the Loki series being connected. Now, this is one that you may have seen videos of where somebody linked together the endings of Wanda becoming the Scarlet Witch and Kang the Conqueror or He Who Remains odd behavior when he's meeting with Loki and Sylvie. And this Reddit user, Dragon underscore eGaming11, says, Let's start from the TVA. TVA deals with the Nexus events and prevents the sacred timeline from branching. The technology they used are all an invention of Kang or He Who Remains. Now, jumping to WandaVision, when Wanda became the Scarlet Witch, she became a Nexus being, creating a Nexus event branching the sacred timeline. TVA would have to reset the timeline and eliminate the Scarlet Witch, but she is much too powerful for only the TVA. So here, He Who Remains come up. My theory is, is that it was Kang's plan all along. He, as He Who Remains, knows all there is in time. He knows the future and can act accordingly to overcome anything. But what happens when a creature can change that future and Kang cannot predict it beforehand? He will be defeated. Scarlet Witch is such a being. She can create the probability hex, which can basically change the probability of an event and change the outcome. So, Kang uses Sylvie to kill him and unleash infinite variants of himself to defeat the Scarlet Witch. And according to his paradox, Kang Prime will end the multiversal war, and thus Kang will be on top again as he who remains. Now, there are some people mentioning that Loki took place before WandaVision, according to the official timeline, but it is worth mentioning, we don't know if these things are happening simultaneously or not. I do know that one of the creators or the director, somebody that was involved with Loki, mentioned that it was just a big coincidence. And you know what? What else is he going to say? All these people that are involved are, of course, tied to numerous NDAs and making sure that they don't spoil anything for the MCU as a whole. Looking at you, Tom Holland. But let's move into the next theory here. And I'm not sure the name of this user as their account has since been deleted since they posted this theory a couple of years ago. And this one states that M'Baku became the king of Wakanda and maybe Black Panther during the five-year time skip during Avengers Endgame. I've had this idea for a while. I noticed that M'Baku was able to run at the same pace with Captain America and Thor and Black Panther during the charge against Thanos' army. That got me thinking. When T'Challa and Shuri were dusted in Infinity War, who ruled Wakanda during the five years? I think it was M'Baku who took the throne. 
The Black Panther film established that at least M'Baku was a match for T'Challa as seen in the waterfall scene for the throne of Wakanda, and in Infinity War, both Cap and Panther outpaced their own army against the Marauders. He is the most capable person to lead Wakanda in their darkest time, and with the royal line of succession broken, he may have taken the throne not out of personal reasons, but out of necessity. Now, I was reading through some of the comments on here, and maybe this is partially because I hope that M'Baku is the ruler of Wakanda. Who knows which direction they're going for Wakanda forever. We'll get those answers later this year. I'm sure it was really difficult to figure this out after the passing of Chadwick Boseman. One of the commenters on this thread stated, Sounds legit. I'm also on board with the theory that his tribe probably has their own secret herb garden, which I don't think would be out of the realm of possibility. Now, other people also point out that it seemed like it was pretty clear that Okoye was in charge of Wakanda based on the fact that she appears in Endgame in that little council that she has with Black Widow, a Rocket, Captain Marvel, Rhodey. I think it would make a lot of sense for them to turn to Okoye. But again, I just really think it would be a, a nice way to slide M'Baku into this spot. Now, a, a lot of people also pointed out that he cannot be the Black Panther as that lineage would have gone away with T'Challa. So he would have to be something else, a brand new character. However, I do like the idea of M'Baku being the new leader of Wakanda. For this next one here, let's go back to WandaVision. But this one is more of a MCU overall theory. And it comes from Reddit user The Mediocre Critic. And this one states that Vision's mention of the ship Theseus is not simply a nod to his character, but to the MCU moving forward. Variants, scrolls, multiversal versions of its characters. Phase 4 will focus on identity. And this was posted a year ago, so we've already seen some of these things come to fruition. It starts off this way. Who are we? The line in WandaVision about the ship of Theseus, whereas if you replace every component of, let's say, a boat, is still the same boat, was a perfect way to sum up the scene with Vision, but it also describes the MCU moving forward into Phase 4. In this scene with the two opposing Visions, Marvel is telling the audience what the next phase of the program is. The theme of Phase 4 is going to be identity. Vision and Wanda struggle with their identity throughout WandaVision, Only one episode into Loki, that theme is very much present there as well. Loki is not even himself anymore, just a variant of a Loki. The Multiverse of Existential Crisis The multiverse will also open up a new realm of warped identity. There will be different versions of characters from other universes. Spider-Man and the multiverse interacting with other Spider-Man enemies will blur the lines of who he is. Again, these are things we've already seen in both Spider-Man and in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. The Avengers Another clear comparison is the Avengers themselves. The original Avengers, the original ship, if you will, is made of mostly new parts. Tony, Steve, and Natasha are gone. Thor is off on his own adventures. The Hulk is accepting his new identity. Sam Wilson is defining Captain America in a new way. The Avengers are almost entirely made up of people that were not there at the formation of the Avengers. They are new components on an old ship. Identity and the character's perception of their own identity will be the driving theme throughout Phase 4. How will Loki deal with not being the original him? How will the new Avengers deal with the loss of the founding Avengers? Will the ship of Theseus sink with all these new green planks, or will it sail better than ever before? I really like this one, and it really drives home all these new Avengers that we're going to be seeing soon. Of course, we've already gotten Kate Bishop. We've gotten Yelena. We've just started Miss Marvel here within the last couple of weeks. There's going to be just all these brand new characters that are going to be added to the team. Of course, they're going to be doing Young Avengers at some point. That's why we're seeing a lot of these younger characters. But Vision bringing up the ship of Theseus is such a perfect metaphor for what's happening right now with the MCU. Let me get to our last serious one before I end with a fun one here. 
And this one I really, really like. I really appreciate the amount of depth that they went into. And this is also another one from the Mediocre Critic. So shout out to the Mediocre Critic over on Reddit. And this one states that Thanos gave Loki the Mind Stone in Avengers not to get the Space Stone, but to further corrupt Loki and destabilize Asgard so Thanos can eventually invade an unprotected Nevadalir and force Eitri into making the Infinity Gauntlet. So to begin, Thanos orchestrated the further corruption of Loki and the New York attack to divide and distract the Asgardians. With the Asgardian royalty destabilized and fighting among themselves, he could attack the unprotected forge of Nevadalir, the only place capable of forging a device strong enough to hold the Infinity Stones. In Avengers 2012, Thanos loans Loki the Scepter with the Mind Stone so Loki can take over Earth, and in return, Loki promises to bring Thanos the Tesseract. This seems like a simple two-for-one deal, except Thanos doesn't need Loki to collect the Space Stone. He has his own army and could seemingly send them to do the work himself unless he had other, more grandeur plans. Thanos specifically sought Loki to launch the attack on Earth. The Mad Titan wasn't aiming for the two-for-one mind space stone deal he pitched to Loki. He was secretly plotting to create a rift in the Asgardian royal family. Thanos' ultimate goal was to invade Nevadalir and force Eitri to make the Infinity Gauntlet, but he can't subjugate the Forge while it still has a defense pact with Asgard. And this defense pact is mentioned by Eitri to Thor in Infinity War when he says, quote, you were supposed to protect us, Asgard was supposed to protect us. How it works. Thanos locates the recently ostracized Prince of Asgard and tempts him with a conquest that defies Odin's will and pits Loki against his brother Thor. Thanos knows that he'll risk that he'll lose the Mind Stone, but he doesn't care. The stones are of little use to him until he has the gauntlet that allows him to wield their full power. He refers to Rocket's interaction with Thor in Infinity War, where Rocket says, Nevadalir is real? Seriously? I mean, that place is a legend. They make the most powerful, horrific weapons to ever torment the universe. I would very much like to go there, please. If Rocket knows about Nevadalir, then it's almost certain the Mad Titan knows of the Forge and what the dwarves can create for him. He's going to need the most powerful containment weapon ever constructed to wield the stones. And the only thing preventing access to the Forge is the mighty Asgardian army, Knowing Asgard will likely defeat his army, Thanos opts to play the long game and manipulate Loki into destabilizing the Asgardian royal family, his plan works, the rift between Loki, his brother, and his father grows, and the Ragnarok destruction prophecy begins. I absolutely love this theory, and another user adds on in the comments, Even during the events of Thor the Dark World and Ragnarok, Odin and Hela are still alive, and Thanos probably knows of them from when they were conquerors before Thor was even born. So, Thanos invades Asgard, would have to kill Odin, unleashes Hela, who he can't beat without the stones, and a gauntlet to hold them. If Thanos invades Nevadalir for a gauntlet before he has the stones, he'll have to contend with Asgard. So, locate the stones, get the gauntlet, use the stones, destroy the stones. Thanos is patient. This just adds so many layers to a villain that is already probably my favorite of all time. And this is Infinity War Thanos that I'm referring to. Endgame Thanos is still kind of wrapped up in the wrong things. I saw another comment where it stated that Thanos in Infinity War, especially after getting the Tesseract, you know, he takes off his armor, he becomes a little bit more relaxed. He knows that he is about to fulfill his prophecy. Endgame Thanos is still very much wrapped up in killing anybody who gets in his way. He's a little reckless. He is maybe a little bit too confident. Whereas Infinity War Thanos knows that he has won even before the end of the film. And again, I love that this theory continues to flesh out that character. Well done, and shout out to the Mediocre Critic. I love this. But 
For the very last theory, and the most important one that I will be covering here for this episode, Alligator Loki was pruned for preventing the Avengers from going back in time. And the user Franktopus states that he ate the wrong neighbor's cat. The neighbor's cat he should have eaten killed the rat that brought Scott Lang back from the quantum realm. I haven't any evidence to back this up other than I'm stoned and it's funny. You know what, Franktopus? It is funny and I love it. And you know what? I say we here in the Wait For It universe adopt this as canon. So good job, Alligator Loki. You fucked up. And this is now what happened. So (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed all of these theories. And I know we talk about the MCU a lot. And I know a lot of people are suffering from MCU fatigue. I totally get it. I am as well. I have no interest in watching some of the shows coming up on Disney Plus, but knowing that I'm going to have to watch them is kind of exhausting. And I totally get that. But these theories are a lot of fun and I think flesh out characters that we love so much. And it's always fun to visit them. But if you enjoyed this, let me know because I would love to bring a guest on and talk about some of these. I think it would be a whole lot of fun. I'm probably going to tackle DC in the future, maybe like My Hero Academia and stuff like that. Bring Eric on. But Guys, thank you so much for joining me. And as a reminder, you can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast. If you are brand new, we can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Amazon Music. That's just a few places. If you find yourself listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do us a huge favor and leave us a five-star review. Make sure to check out the show notes for our YouTube link for all of our live streams. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Wait For It Podcast and on Twitter at Wait For It Pod. But with all that being said, I am Phil Smith, aka Phil the Filipino. Do not forget, we release new episodes every Monday and Wednesday, and all you got to do is wait for it. So, I heard you're looking for a go-to source for entertainment. Wait for it? Gaming? Wait for it? Anime? Plus Ultra! Mr. Eric Almighty and Phil the Filipino? Yeah, they've got you covered. And all you got to do is wait for it. This is the Wait For It Podcast.